Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Greetings to you this day. Um, talking about air quality, talking about the deteriorating air quality across much of the United States um, because of ongoing fires in Canada. And so this is uh, this is a continu- continuation of the conversation. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire. So where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, and sometimes where there's smoke, there's a, a complaining spirit and questions about when it will end and trying to predict where the wind will blow. Uh, and so we're going to obviously be praying for folks in wildfire ravages, ravaged parts of the world, in, including Canada. So if there's active fires uh, where you are, um, certainly know that we are considering the reality that your situation is far worse than those of us who are living in the smoky drift. And I do think that perspective is really important. When you hear people complaining that, you know, their outdoor sports activity has been canceled or their walk in the park uh, has been postponed or they have to put on a mask in order to um, be able to keep those particulates out of their lungs. Um, Let's be mindful of the people who are living in the places where there are active wildfires, hundreds of them burning out of control uh, in Canada and so let's be let's be mindful of the situation of others when we are tempted to complain about um, the fact that the smoke has blown in our direction. Um, but where there's smoke, there's fire, and there are um, widespread areas uh, now of the United States where the air quality is really quite terrible. And if you look at the satellite images. Um, related to how the smoke is being swept up into the upper atmosphere and then swirling down um, into and over larger and larger portions of the United States, it's it's quite possible that the air quality where you are is going to get worse um, and that this may linger for some period of time. And so um, what is the opportunity for the church in the midst of this? I certainly think that in those places where there are now Um, orders to stay indoors and those kinds of encouragements. Uh, Churches need to be opening their doors to people who are unsheltered and don't have, um, you know, don't, who are not living indoors and therefore can't stay indoors. Um, There's probably an opportunity here for churches to check on people in the community um, who cannot get out, particularly because of acute breathing disorders. And they're going to need people to come to them with resources that are necessary for staying indoors. 
So what are the resources that God has placed within your reach? I mean, it's a good day to, I don't know, go pick what's growing in your garden and take it to somebody who has been ordered to stay indoors. Um, What opportunities for conversation might that uh, provide? Um, Might give us an opportunity just to ask people how we can pray for them. Uh, it is a, it is certainly an opportunity when we are shut in to spend time doing things that um, we might otherwise consider ourselves too busy to do. So spend some time in the Word of God, spend some time praying, working over that prayer list. Uh, and let's not have a spirit of complaint. Let's have a spirit of gratitude that God has given us, well, a different schedule than the one that we thought we were going to have. This is also a story about just how fragile we are. A few degrees hotter or colder and we die. Uh, A few too many particulates in the air and we can't breathe. A little too much rain um, and, you know, and and we're bogged down in the mud. Um, Not enough rain and uh, we become parched. It's a story about the reality that we're all inhabiting one earth together and that uh, geographic borders (laughs) are... uh, yeah, just smoke doesn't care, right? National borders don't matter to the wind. The wind blows where it will, um, which brings me to this note that I read. <clears throat> uh, the worst pollution is expected to move west, away from the northeast, in as a stagnant lower pressure system that's been sending the smoke southward this week changes direction. So says the National Weather Service. But, here's the big but, As long as the fires in Canada continue, the smoke may simply be directed toward other areas of the U.S. in an unpredictable manner. It says we're less confident in predicting the effects and density of the smoke the further out you go. Well, really? I mean, no surprise there, right? The wind blows where it will. We know that from Jesus in John chapter 3. He's talking, of course, about the wind of the Holy Spirit, but it's relevant to real wind as well. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Don't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So where is the wind of the Spirit blowing today, and how is it blowing afresh in your life? Um, And where will it blow you next? We're going to talk next with Dr. Matthew Sleeth in our ongoing conversation about the 10 pillars of our faith. Today, we land on speaking the truth. I wrote a whole book on that, so this ought to be a lively conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is joining us again today. He's a physician. He's a theologian. He's a tree guy, if you haven't checked on that recently. Uh, Reforesting Faith, one of my favorite of his projects. Uh, Matthew, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. It's it's great to be with you. And Carmen, can I just pick up on something you said a moment ago? You were you were speaking a tree, uh, truth, and I, I turned to Matthew chapter 5 here in the Bible, and it And it says, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We are all on this planet together. It's what 
you were saying and scripture was saying here. So amen to that before we even get started. No, amen. (laughs) I feel like that's how a conversation is supposed to go, right? Like we're uh, we're reflecting on what one another has said and uh, and what the Lord is bringing to mind. That's actually a part of this conversation about discerning the truth. And so as we arrive at pillar number seven today in our ongoing conversation about these 10 pillars of our faith, um, part of speaking the truth is knowing the truth. And part of knowing the truth is um, uh, is discerning what truth is. So can you just lead us into this conversation about truth, particularly in a day and time when so many people reject that there is a knowable, substantial, unchanging truth. Yes, I think uh, we we live in a time of relativism, uh, and uh, where truth is um, uh, up for uh, argument uh, per se. And uh, for me, truth really began the first time I read a Bible 21, 22 years ago. And uh, if you, you read that, particularly the sections of that Christ is speaking and, and describing himself, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Um, it's absolutely essential to understanding God that we accept that uh, Christ is his manifestation of truth on the earth. And the record that we have of that is is scripture. So to me, truth begins with scripture and, um, and, and an understanding that truth doesn't change over time, that God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so truth isn't up for debate. And I think that uh, much of what we see that uh, causes consternation in our in our hearts today is a world wrestling with um, the the fact that it's let go of the truth or not grabbed onto it. Uh, either way you look at that, that's so good. Um, when we when we start thinking about. Um, the truth and what the truth accomplishes. It, it is about knowing the one who is the truth. So we're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. We're going to um, we're going to talk about what it means to know Jesus as the one who says of himself, "I am the way and the truth and the life," and the one to whom um, Pontius Pilate, who ultimately condemns him um, to death, um, you know, asking, you know, what is what is truth or what what or what does truth have to do? with any of this. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Matthew Sleeth is a physician. He's one of America's most trusted voices. He invites us to um, learn not only 
um, sound medicine and practical help, um, but biblical truth. And so we are having an ongoing conversation with him about the 10 pillars of our faith. And today we arrive at pillar number seven, speak the truth. So Matthew, um, talk with us about this encounter that Jesus has, you know, obviously very near the end of his life, where he's just asked this question that he has never given the opportunity to answer, but like, what is truth? Or maybe what does truth have to do with this? Uh, to uh, Frederick Beekner's uh, book, Telling the Truth, and he, he describes that, and I'm kind of loosely paraphrasing, I don't have it in front of me, um, uh, and he describes someone as uh, taking a deep drag on their cigarette, exhaling through squinted eyes and saying, what is truth? And he's he's talking about Pilate there, um, that, that um, Pilate... Uh, is, is sort of, if you will, making fun of the truth. Mm-hmm. And yet everything that I believe um, is, is based on the fact that I believe Jesus is the truth teller. And, the, and the, uh, as C.S. Lewis put this, you have to either say that Jesus is a liar, he's not telling the truth, or he's a lunatic, which means he's deluded and he doesn't know what the truth is, or he is telling the truth. And he is telling the most wonderful truth that if we place our trust in him, we will have eternal life. Now, that's either a tall tale or that's the truth that we can um, stake our lives and souls on. And uh, as I as I look at the life of Jesus as he goes through um, his, his life and his ministry, his yes is his yes and his no is his no, and he will not bend it to save his own life, etc. And so um, I really think that that is the foundation of, of civilization, if you will, is, is to place their trust in truth, and that the truth sets us free. Um, and and we, uh, we've all been lied to, and we've all lied. Um, and part of the uh, the reason that humanity fell, according to Scripture, which I believe is truth, is that Adam and Eve fell for a lie. Um, and I, I, I have uh, at the in the opening of my Bible in the front, I've written uh, from Jeremiah nine three. It's it's um, because it's uh, it means so much to me. Um, Valiant for truth on earth, and that comes from. Uh, and they bend their tongues like a bow for lies, but they are not valiant for truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. We have to accept truth in order to know God. Uh, and Jesus says uh, to that woman at the well, you, you're going to worship in spirit and truth. I believe that many people uh, who are Christians and very sincere do not feel as close to God as God wants them to feel because they're not dealing with truth in their life. And and that it's just a condition, if you will, for understanding God and his word is to be willing to accept the fact that we are liars, we are, are sinners, and God is the source of truth and goodness and righteousness, period. <laughs> that's That's my thoughts on that. Yeah, that reference to goodness, beauty, and truth, these, the, these transcendental realities, um, we, we suffer when we deny them. I mean, we certainly suffer when, 
I mean, even if we're standing there like Pilate and the truth is standing right in front of us, Jesus is right there. Um, I mean, like the truth is right there. And yet we do make these pragmatic, self-serving choices to save our own skin or preserve our own position or keep the relative peace of the moment. And in so doing, we are compromising the transcendental realities sometimes of goodness, sometimes of beauty, sometimes of truth. Um, And I guess maybe in some way, all of them. And then we are surprised that, you know, it doesn't go well. um, And we find ourselves in deeper conflict and, um, and facing even greater challenges. And then of course we, we say, God, why did you let this happen? And God's like, I mean, you, you, I didn't let this happen. You made this happen. Like this is a, there's a consequential reality here to the choices that you're making. Um, when we deny the truth, we, we trap ourselves, like, right? I mean, like if the truth is what sets us free, then when we deny the truth and the reality of it and, and how God We're in bondage. Has, yeah. yeah, we, we like, we put ourselves in bondage. Like it, it's a choice we make. It, it is, and I, I think that it can it can be so easy not to keep our word, and um, mm-hmm. and I and I I think um, of when I was a, a very new Christian and uh, um, someone I was working with, but the um, from from Britain said, "Gee, the problem with you Americans is you're so good natured, but you're always promising things you never deliver on at all." And I think that's probably common for our culture, wanting to be good people, wanting to be accommodating. We promise to do things that we just don't get to. And um, uh, it, it's, and, and when we break so many of those little promises, we don't keep our word, it becomes easier to break the big promises like I will love you forever that we stand up and say in front of God and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think really beginning this battle for truth begins with the little things. If you said you're going to be there on time, be there on time. That means you have to start early, you start early. Um, and uh, if, if you say you're going to do something, you just absolutely do it. And I know that it was difficult for me coming from the medical world where truth is something you don't get away with bending too much. Um, if you tell somebody the potassium is uh, 2.4, it better be 2.4. And coming into, you know, more of a secular world and even a Christian world where truth was negotiable or forgettable, that type of thing. And uh, and, and so I, I just think that we need to begin telling the truth by keeping our word, even on the smallest of, of things. If we say we're going to do something, we're, we're, we're going to do it. Um, that that's uh, I think uh, the practice of truth is a practice. It's not something one day you decide I'm going to be truthful and you are. I think you have to work at it day in and day out, Carmen. There's not much margin for error in uh, in medicine. No, I mean in the actual no. practice of medicine, there's not much margin for error. Like actually knowing the truth and then aligning your behavior with the truth are essential. Um, and I expect there to not be any margin of error when I am being, um, you know, when, like, let's say if I'm literally going under the knife or if I am taking a medication, like, I expect the pharmacist to be exact in terms of 
fulfilling the prescription. And I expect the pres- prescription to be exact uh, in terms of um, of what is prescribed and how much and when I'm supposed to take it and with what or without, you know, what. And I, ex- I mean, I, I expect exact things there. I expect truth. Um, we ought to be that considerate all the time about everything. And absolutely. And when we are, it just makes life easier. And and we're not going to have others around us keep the truth, but at least if we know that we're on it, God is, um, we are resonating, if you will, with the light, um, which uh, truth is often in scripture described as light. And of course, Jesus is the light. Um, and it, it, it just makes things um, uh, easier. And, and there's no place where that truth, I think, is more demanded than within a family and within a marriage. Um, and when we, we break that trust, we break the truth. Um, if it's done to us, we, we're hurt. We're, we're um, if you will, insulted that somebody doesn't think enough of us to keep the truth. And we have to remember that that truth keeping begins with us. Um, and and to hold ourselves to a standard, uh, biblical standard, even if the rest of the world is not following it. Well, the Lord uh, bless you and keep you today in the truth. And um, certainly thank you for being here with us and speaking the truth today. That's Dr. Matthew Sleeth. I encourage you to visit with him online, Matthew Sleeth, MD. Uh, .org, also on Facebook, um, great places to connect with him. Um, if you are um, in need of particular encouragement, I commend to you his Hope Always book. Um, and, and then I also just really, really love uh, what Matthew has done in reforesting faith. So um, Matthew, as always, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to take a brief break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. All right, uh, so we have a Sean Nolan who listens to the program in Connecticut, and today is his birthday. So happy birthday to Sean Nolan in Connecticut. We also have Sean Nolan, who's an author uh, and a pastor, speaking for God, uh, searching for God in Christianity. Um, And that Sean Nolan is going to join us next. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, how you know, I don't know. The Sean Nolans are are converging here this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Here's the question before us. Um, We we acknowledge that we live in a world that has lost its sense of truth. That's actually the opening line of searching for God in Christianity. Um, And so what does it then look like for us to be people who know the one who is the way and the truth and the life, um, know that truth is a person? Do we also know that hope is a person? that hope has a name we're going to talk about that next with one sean nolan in front of another (laughs) you're listening to mornings with carmen Sean A. Nolan is joining us now from Australia, and uh, one of the people listening is Sean Nolan in Connecticut in the United States. Happy birthday to Sean Nolan in Connecticut, and happy almost your birthday, which apparently is Saturday, to Sean A. Nolan in Australia. It's amazing. Sean, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me on, Carmen, and I just want to say good day to everyone, and I should say a special hello there to the other Sean listening. 
Right? It's so it's a it's such a small world. Um, what it time really is. is it? What time is it where you are? It is ten thirty six p.m. in mm-hmm. Sydney, Australia, where I am. So it's just it's it's uh, Sean's birthday uh, in Connecticut, where you live, is almost over. My birthday has <laughs> almost arrived where you live, and you're just a day away from your own birthday. So there you go, celebration. It's a uh, um, uh, it is amazing the smallness and the bigness of the world upon which we live, and the Lord is sovereign over all of it. So let's get talking about Him. Um, your yeah, book amen. is Searching for God in Christianity. Um, that that might sound like a theological tome. This is a the- theology for really everyday people. Um, I feel like you wrote this to give the average person all that they need to sort of appropriate the power of heaven in the world today. Yeah, that's 100% right. Uh, I like to say that it's theology translated into English, meaning it's theology translated out of all of that big theological jargon that theologians often, like myself, like to put around it that doesn't really help a lot, uh, translated into everyday English so everyone can understand what the great, some of the, especially some of the great theological truths that can really help us in this day and age where we're struggling to really find the definition of truth in society. Um, who is Bill uh, Cunningham and what does his story tell us about the challenge that we face today in terms of the the view of the, the view the world has of the church? Yeah, so I, I watched this documentary on Bill Cunningham. He was the uh, chief photographer for the New York Times for many years. And I watched the documentary on his life. He was an older man. And in the documentary, they talk about the fact that he had quite a strong Christian faith. And to quote him, he said he would go to church every week to repent. Uh, and so he had an active faith in the Lord. And I opened the book with a little anecdote from his life because he was the chief photographer for the New York Times, as I just said. And the story goes that when he saw something that wasn't authentic, he would put his camera down. And if Bill Cunningham, they say, put his camera down on your garment, he was a fashion photographer, they would consider that death in in that industry because you've basically been snubbed by him. And But if he picked his camera up, and he only did that when he saw something that was authentic and real. And so I opened the book with that anecdote because I felt like, Really, there's a lot in that for the church in this generation, that we really need to get back to the authentic and real Jesus, uh, that in Jesus there is true and real power, power to meet what I like to call sometimes a pandemic of rest and a pandemic of hope, which is going on in our society today. And when we evacuate all other concerns and come back to Jesus Christ himself, his core message, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. When we come back to that message, there's an inherent power in that message, and we see things change in our everyday life and in our church ministry. We're talking with Sean Nolan. The book is Searching for God in Christianity. Um, If you are looking for not only a source of hope, but a way to apprehend it and, uh, and then walk it out in the world, we're giving away copies of Searching for God in Christianity. Today, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Talk with us about the question, who do you say that I am? Yeah, so 
there's a really great song that was written in Australia by um, Hillsong um, a little while ago that sort of went to that that theme. And you can kind of invert that question. You can say, who who do you say that I am towards God? But it also goes back to how we perceive God and how we know God. Because uh, a lot of the time, if we're perceiving and uh, have the wrong view of God, then we might be importing uh, experiences from our own life onto who we think God is. And in the book, I sort of break down the the deep theology around the meaning of the name Jesus. Uh, and the, the name Jesus actually means Yahweh saves. And it, it goes to the idea that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, has come off his throne, come down to earth, and hung on the cross to take uh, his own condemnation upon himself to redeem and save humanity. And in that act of truly amazing divine love, we see the loving nature and heart of the Father God revealed. And when we see and know God through this, this core truth that's revealed in the very name of Jesus, then we're we're seeing God and for who he says he is uh, on the cross. And and just a little addition there, on the cross, we we don't just, I don't want to minimize like in any sense salvation. We, we see salvation fully, but we also see a statement about who God is. He's a loving heavenly father. And when we know him that way, a lot can change in our spiritual life. When you talk about change and transformation, um, it's one thing for me to recognize who God says he is in Scripture and to have a view to that. It's another thing for me to live that out, um, Mm. to actually live a transformed life. Um, You talk about um, how Jesus lives in the believer, uh, Jesus alive in you uh, being the you know, a, a, a significant portion of the book. Can you talk about how we see ourselves differently once we see Jesus? Yeah, that is such a great question. So that section sort of came out of a really organic place in my life. Um, I was a full-time carer for both my parents for 25 years. And when my mum died, uh, she was what one of her doctors called the national record holder here in Australia for the woman to live the longest with terminal ovarian cancer. So it came out of my theological training, but it also came out of that really, really organic and very real place of being a carer for both my mother and father for a long time. And when, uh, as I read through the great theology books, I found that in there's three great theological movements in the history of sort of the Christian church. One was the church council era that was sort of known by many people by the Nicene Creed, and it culminated in the life and writings of Augustine. The next great movement was the Church Reformation of the 1500s uh, with John Calvin and Martin Luther and others. And the last great theological movement was around World War I and II, which was uh, sort of centred in the work of Karl Barth, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Emil Brunner and a few others. And when you read uh, extensively in these three areas, you find that there's actually a symmetry in the way that all three of these areas end. They all end with, and I'm going to focus in on John Calvin because he is kind of the clearest, they all end with this idea of invocational prayer, which is a certain type of prayer of really looking to God and drawing on God for all we have every day. And that was the centre of John Calvin's grace gospel, that we don't do the work. 
all we have to do is come to God, Luke chapter 11, and ask him and draw from him every day. And when we do that, it's really the inner workings of the spirit-filled life. When we're doing that, God is living through us. His spirit is alive in us and he's bringing his grace and his love and his mercy down upon us and fulfilling every one of our needs. And so in that simple act of invocational prayer, prayer that draws upon God, comes to God for every one of our needs, we see the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, living alive and meeting our needs in every part of our life. And I found that through my theology, but more so in my time as a carer, that God truly is an ever-present help in time of need. But the critical thing is in Psalm 50:15 that Calvin based it all on this, that we have to call upon him. We have to call upon him each day in prayer. I want to talk about um, the appendices, and I want to talk about uh, God's house being called a house of prayer. Um, but let's take mm. a very, very brief break. We're talking with Sean Nolan. You can connect with him at hopesociety.org.au. Um, you can also connect with him at engaged. Oh, no, no D. EngageAlbany.org. The book is Searching for God in Christianity. Yes, we have copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. When when it says in the Bible, my house shall be called a house of prayer, what, what does that mean and how are we living that out in our lives? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Continuing our conversation with Sean Nolan, um, we're talking about his book, Searching for God in Christianity. We're giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter that drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you're listening internationally and texting that word is a problem, you can just go to myfaithradio.com slash, I think it's book, pretty sure. Does that sound right, Paul? Yes, it's slash book, Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. MyFaithRadio.com slash book, and uh, you can enter that way as well. That was Paul Perot, my producer, who actually knows the answers to all the questions. Um, Sean, uh, jumping back into your book, I love appendices. They are some of my favorite parts of books because I feel like it's where the author is um, wrapping up a gift for me that somehow, some way, didn't fit into the flow of the uh, of the outline. <laughs> so, so talk with us a little bit um, about... My house shall be called a house of prayer, because this is a real um, gift and call. Yeah, again, that's such a great question. So that comes straight off the end of the little part I was just talking about there from John Calvin and others about really bringing our Christian life and our ministry into this idea of prayer that receives from God. And it stood out to me that in the New Testament, Jesus only ever says, this is how you should, or this is how you shall, about prayer alone. Uh, He doesn't even, he gives us explicit instructions on how to pray. He doesn't even, and this was a bit shocking for me when I first noticed it, he doesn't even give us explicit instructions on how to preach. He only does that on prayer, and that isn't in any way to minimize preaching. I've been a preacher for nearly 20 years now because preaching is clearly a command and requirement for church leadership in the Bible in Timothy and Titus. But Jesus pulls out prayer and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he goes into the Lord's prayer and tells us how we are to draw and receive from God. And simply put, the way I see it is that if we aren't praying, 
it's kind of like the difference between a, a two-dimensional cube on a piece of paper and a three-dimensional cube. If we're not praying, if we're not drawing upon God in our personal Christian lives and in our ministry, then our ministry and our Christian life, it's just like that two-dimensional cube. But when we start praying, it, it goes to that 3D. It goes to that next place where God really becomes alive and active in our ministry. And when I went to the, many, many years ago, I went to the Billy Graham Library in North Carolina when I was in your beautiful country. And I noticed that there was a quote on the wall there from Dr. Graham that said, three things are needed for a successful crusade, prayer, prayer, and more prayer. And <laughs> prayer is just such a central heart of part of all that we do. And, and a final thought there is that when we are praying, if we think about it this way, our ministry is just a form of humanism because it's just us. It's when we're praying that God becomes alive and active in all that we're doing. And we also receive rest because everything becomes easier because we brought God to bear on the situation. My uh, my encouragement to so many people when they're like, oh, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know how to how to pray with somebody. I don't know. I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. And I just say like, look, mm. you got to get over yourself. Like you're the problem. <laughs> like that, like, right. So, yeah. um, and my pastor on Sunday, um, I mean, probably like every church out there in the whole world, right. There's a portion of the service given over to what might be called the mm. prayers of the people or the pastoral prayer. Um, and this past Sunday, my pastor like paused I mean, you could tell he was like, you know, that's where we're going. Like, we all know that's where we're going. It's mm. the time in the service that that's where we're going. And um, and he paused and he kind of looked at us and he's like, you you get that, that this is not just like me praying and you listening. Like, this is mm. like we are praying now. Like, I this mm. isn't a this is an opportunity for you and I to engage together before God's mm. throne of grace and mercy on behalf of of those about whom we're concerned and the things that God brings to our hearts and minds and like it was a it was a really healthy reminder that prayer's mm. not something that like one person is doing on behalf of all of us like we are all called into prayer and to do so believing like believing that not only God is, but God is great and God is good and he's sovereign and he's powerful and he's present and he's active. Like I, I'm with you on this, um, on this particular like need and call in the life of the church. Yeah. And I just, I'll add a little thought in there that I mentioned before there was symmetry between these great, great, three great theological movements. The other area around the idea of prayer, the other thing is there was symmetry around what Karl Barth, the German theologian called the, the number one uh, theological truth of the Christian faith. And he centered it in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God it was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And right now on my desk, I have in front of me a copy of Andrew Murray, the old missionary uh, leader from South Africa, his book um, called, I'll just move my phone, Like Christ. And in that book, he talks about this idea of praying the crucifixion. Uh, and what he means by that is not a ritualistic thing, but when we pray, he's talking about centering in on praying, Lord, with Paul in, in Galatians 2.20, Lord, crucify my flesh in me daily. And then with Paul, Lord, bring your resurrection life into me daily. And we center our prayer life in the cross message of Jesus Christ. And I've noticed that there's just an inbuilt, inherent power 
in the cross message and particularly as we pray the scriptures that talk about that message. So if there's anyone out there struggling in their prayer life, I would just encourage them to reduce your prayer life. Uh, When we're talking about prayer, Jesus said, don't use many words. Less is more here. We want quality, not quantity. And so reduce your prayer life into scriptures, read the scriptures, and then pray them back to God, the ones that talk about the death and resurrection, particularly of, of, of that death and resurrection message of Jesus Christ. And you will find the Spirit of God crucifying things in your life on your behalf and bringing things to new life. And that is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in Psalm 50, where David says, Uh, where he has this great realization after he sins with Bathsheba that he says, Lord, I don't even have the ability to obey you. Give me the desire to obey in the new English translation that says that. And then the writer to Hebrews picks that up in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 and talks about Christ bringing the will of God into our very lives that we activate through prayer, where he will live in us and crucify our old life. This is the beauty of the covenant of grace. It's what struck Calvin, what struck Luther and so many others, that God would come in and get this um, deep into our lives, that he would crucify our old life and he would give us the new life. All we need to do is come to him daily and ask him with a prayer of faith. Amen, amen, and amen. I wish we had time to talk Mm. about the creative potential of chaos and the eschatology (laughs) of worship, but but we will leave it right there today. Um, Sean Nolan, thank you so much um, for joining us today. Happy birthday to you. Uh, The book is Searching for God in Christianity. We are giving away copies today. This is, I mean, if you are like a put the hay down where the goats can get it kind of person, if you are a theology uh, at the street level, um, this is is Mm. the book for you, um, Searching for God in Christianity. Yeah. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'd love to give you a copy today. Thank you so much um, for bringing clarity and confidence to our journey with God. We really appreciate it, Sean. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's been an honor and a privilege to be with you. God bless. All right. And and good night. Thank you. Yeah, good night. (laughs) I'm going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Faith Radio. Well, as we conclude our conversation today, let me lift up um, uh, a notice. Um, So, you know, we are going to read a death notice now. Um, Our brother in Christ, Pat Robertson, has gone to be with the Lord. Um, The Christian Broadcasting Network has um, announced Pat Robertson's death. Um, You probably know him, right? He uh, has been a broadcaster for a very long time and um, certainly sought to bring uh, the Christian voice forward into the political conversations of the day. Um, In addition to being a broadcaster, um, Pat Robertson started Regent University and uh, the American Center for Law and Justice. Uh, I mean, on and on and on. Um, Just the the 700 Club might be something that you you know about as well. I want to pray for the Robertson family, um, for those who knew and loved... um, Pat Robertson best in this life and just glorying in the reality that um, he lives. Though we die, those who are in Christ, yet shall we live. And so um, let's be mindful of that today and let's live today as those who are prepared to die. Um, And as others 
talk about death. Let's be the people who talk about resurrection unto newness of life. Have a blessed day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.